Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you. Uh, can you hear me? I can. Cool, cool. Cool. Um, all right, let's get started. Uh, this is Civic Zero, a comprehensive guide to why the legislative branch sucks. Uh, what part do we want to make this? You choose. Uh, two. Okay, that's funnier because we did two yesterday. Oh. Part, part two twice. <laughs> well, this is the real part two. That was the fake part two. True. True. Oh, God. Um. All right. Let's get it finished with. I'll start with. Oh, hold on. Let me open my blinds real quick. Okay. I'll start with 15.1. We just have the two chapters, right? Yeah. All right. 15.1, acting collectively. Americans' rights to organize and petition the government for change are protected in the Constitution, specifically the First Amendment, which states, quote, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or the right to the people uh, to assemble or to peacefully assemble and to petition the government for a readiness of grievances, end quote. Interest groups in American democracy are represented in democracy. In exercising these fundamental rights, people create what James Madison described in Federalist Number 10, uh, see Chapter 2, as a faction, which he defined as, quote, a number of citizens, whether amounting to a majority or minority of the whole, who are united and, and actuated uh, by some common impulse of passion or of interest, adverse to the rights of other citizens, or to the permanent and aggregate interest of the community, end quote. Madison believed factions were potentially dangerous. Their actions risk trampling on the rights of others or damaging the community. Yet the freedoms protected under the Constitution almost guarantee that factions will form. We can eliminate faction at its source, however, Madison argued, by preventing individuals from coming together and asking the government to address their concerns. Such restrictions upon liberty would go against the very principle of representative democracy. Uh, If you have freedom, Madison concluded, you will have factions. The challenge is not how to eliminate factions, but how to make sure no one faction can do too much damage. In the absence of an acceptable way to eliminate factions, Madison made an insightful observation about how, le- how to lessen the dangers of faction. He believed many factions would compete with each other in a large American republic, making one, any one faction less of a danger to the nation as a whole. As Madison stated, quote, you extend the sphere and you take in a greater variety of parties and interests. You make it less probable that a majority of the whole will have a common motive to invade the rights of other citizens, where if such a common motive exists, it will be more difficult for all who feel it to discover who all for all who feel it to discover their own strength and act in unison with each other. End quote. In other words, factions will form, but if there are many competing factions all vying to achieve their goals in a system that allows each uh, each a voice, then their most dangerous consequences can be contained. Theories of in- Uh, theories of interest group formation. Although people might form factions around a similar number of issues, uh, equality of wealth posed the greatest danger, according to James Madison. He wrote, quote, but the most common, uh, the most common and durable source of factions has been the various and unequal distribution of property. Uh, Those who hold and those who without property, who are without property, have formed distinct interests in society, end quote. As discussed in Chapter 1, the three main theories explain the impact of groups on the political process. 
from the theory of participatory democracy, citizens impact uh, policymaking through their involvement in civil society, which is made up of groups outside the government that advocate for policies. While one person may not be able to make a difference, joining a group allows people with, com- uh, with a common interest to have their voices heard. Under the pluralist theory, the distribution of political power among many conser- or competing groups serves to keep any one, any one of them in check. Groups that lack one resource, like money, have other resources, like a large number of members, enabling them to compete in the political process. In contrast, pluralism. In contrast to pluralism, under elitist theory, wealthy elite class has the wealthy elite class has a disproportionate amount of power, holding the top positions in government and industry. Those who support elite theory claim that the elites control the policy agenda, which is the set issues the policymakers are paying attention to. It, uh, it is based upon the claim that the wealthy class has more access to policymakers than average citizens. Members of Congress and their staff have limited time, and they are more likely to spend time with lobbyists and wealthy donors. While some scholars point to the dominance of corporate interest groups in giving campaign contributions, as we will see below, others point out that, uh, that wealthy and powerful interest groups often compete against each other. Uh, figure 15.1 shows the diversity of U.S. civil society and, and points competing to competing policy agendas. Ironically, when Madison became one of the authors of the Federalist Paper, he was acting as part of an interest group. As you will recall in, in Chapter 2, uh, the Federalist Papers were written to convince state ratifying convention, conventions to approve the Constitution. According to a political scientist, David B. Truman, uh, quote, the entire effort of the Federalist Papers was, uh, was a part the entire effort to which the Federalist Papers was a part was one of the most skillful and important examples of pressure group activity in American history, end quote. The Federalist Papers are now viewed as one of the most important expositions on the theory of the Constitution, but the essays were also uh, political propaganda designed to push for the ratification of the Constitution. The Anti-Federalists, a competing interest group, opposed the Constitution because it created a strong government. Challenges facing interest groups. Differences in size, wealth, and political power shape the strategies available to interest groups as they try to overcome the challenges of collective action. When individuals come together uh, to contribute their energy, time, or money to uh, to a larger group goal, some interest groups uh, or some interest groups work for a collective good, also called the public good, which is a public benefit, uh, such as a strong national defense, clean air or a really nice fireworks display. The problem with collective goods is that people can enjoy the benefits of it achieved by an interest group without contributing to it, so there's no incentive to join the group. People who benefit from the actions of an interest group without joining are called free riders. They pose a serious challenge to interest groups working for their collective good. The free rider problem occurs in states with right-to-work laws, where employees of unionized companies have the right not to join the union. If the union uh, negotiates for higher salaries and better benefits, all employees will benefit, including those who do not join the union and pay dues. Uh, see the cartoon in its dialogue. Using co- uh, cost-beneficent logic, individuals should free, li- free ride and devote their energies elsewhere, knowing that others will make up for their inaction. Interest groups have, uh, have ways of overcoming the free rider problem. One tactic is, one tactic is to offer selective benefits available only to those who join or contribute to the group. 
including uh, discounts on goods and services, access to group publications and information, special offers, travel opportunities, or other benefits uh, available only to members. The AARP, formerly known as the, oh, formerly known as the American Association of Retired Persons, uh, is widely known for the travel benefits and discounts it provides to, for its members. Professional associates may provide the, uh, their members with the credentials needed to operate their profession. Uh, trade unions help, or trade unions work to help their members earn higher wages and better benefits. That is the end of section fifteen point one. Fifteen point two: Interest group tactics. There are several broad categories of interest groups. Economic interest groups advocate on behalf of the financial interest of their members. These groups by far form the largest category of interest groups, and they are large donors to political campaigns. Business groups advocate for the policies to favor their firms or broader corporate interests, such as tax reform or reducing the rights of labor unions. Labor groups, such as trade unions, advocate on behalf of the workers that they represent and sometimes advocate for policies that will benefit the working class in general. Finally, farm groups have a long tradition in American politics. Farm groups support subsidies and trade policies that benefit American agriculture. In contrast, public interest groups act on behalf of the collective interests of a broad group of individuals and not just their members. Groups advocating in the areas of civil rights, civil liberties, social welfare, education, or the environment are all examples of public interest groups. Associations that focus on one specific area of public policy are called single-issue groups. Single-issue groups often form around a moral issue about which their members are passionate and committed. For example, members of right-to-life organizations strongly believe that abortion is the murder of an unborn baby. On the other side of the issue, members of pro-choice organizations believe that women should have the right to make a decision to have an abortion under their right of privacy. Single-issue groups are less likely to compromise because of the vehement belief that they are right and the other side is wrong. Finally, government interest groups act on behalf of state, regional, local, or even foreign governments. Groups representing state and local governments are often concerned about laws and regulations that affect their particular regions. State government interest groups work to obtain grant money from the federal government, which is allocated through the appropriations process in Congress. Lobbying by interest groups. The First Amendment guarantees the right of any citizen to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Interest groups use lobbying or interacting with government officials to advance a group's goals. Lobbying involves efforts to shape policy around all, across all three branches. Legislative lobbying seeks to influence how legislation is written in Congress. Executive branch lobbying focuses on how laws are implemented by the bureaucracy. And judicial lobbying centers on how laws are interpreted by the courts. In 2017, rush, roughly 1150 11,500 paid lobbyists spent a total of $3.37 billion lobbying Congress and federal agencies. Because these figures are based only on registered lobbyist activities, however, they understate the actual numbers of total activity, both in the number of lobbyists and the amount of money they spent. Lobbyists need solid, useful knowledge about the particular policy area and access to those in government. For this reason, former government officials are often in high demand by lobbying firms. Government agencies may recruit individuals from lobbying firms and the private sector for their experience and expertise. The movement of, indi of individuals between positions in government and lobbying positions is called the revolving door. Those who believe that the revolving door is beneficial to the policymaking process argue that effective lobbying depends on the kind of knowledge and experience former government officials can bring to the table. 
Critics of the revolving door worry that paying large sums to hire well-connected lobbyists tilts public policy in favor of the wealthy and powerful. They point out that former members of Congress serving one of the database serving as lobbyists have much greater access to policymakers than average citizens, which may influence government officials to give greater weight to the opinions of lobbyists than to the views of their constituents. Almost half the members of Congress who left in 2017 became lobbyists. Table 15.1 highlights some of the top revolving door organizations. Uh, lobbying Congress influencing le legislation. Congress is a natural target for lobbyists, and lobbyists use several strategies to influence legislation. Sometimes lobbyists contact members of Congress or their staff directly to advocate for their group's position. This is called insider direct lobbying. In addition, lobbyists prepare research reports and briefs to bring more attention to their issues. Interest groups draft bills, lobby members of Congress to introduce the legislation, and help them plan legislative strategy as the bills work their way through committees. Lobbyists also focus on the levels of funding Congress appropriates for agencies and programs. Much of the power of inside lobbying is providing useful and timely information. Research by an interest group might save congressional staff valuable time. Studies sponsored by an interest group may persuade a member of Congress to constituents support an issue. Lobbyists might testify about an issue at committee or subcommittee hearings. Lobbying government agencies. Interest groups take advantage of federal laws requiring executive branch agencies to notify the public and solicit input when establishing rules and procedures. Proposed regulations are often complicated. Interest groups generate data and hire experts with knowledge of regulations and politics. Interest groups encourage agencies to provide benefits, such as subsidies, to the members they represent and to issue favorable regulation. Influencing the judiciary. Interest groups try to shape how the nation's laws are interpreted by the judiciary. Interest groups may file lawsuits, but litigation is expensive and time-consuming, even when it goes well. As we explored in Chapter 9 in Brown v. Board of Education, 1954, the Legal Defense Fund of the NAACP undertook a lengthy, expensive, and risky strategy in using the federal judiciary to end legal segregation in the United States. Interest groups may weigh in on a case filed by other parties by filing a brief as a friend of the court, also known as an amicus curiae brief, which describes the group's position on the issues in an attempt to persuade the court to agree with its arguments. As we learned in Chapter 6, Supreme Court decisions serve as precedent for future cases. By filing amicus curiae briefs, interest groups attempt to influence how the laws in their policy area will be interpreted well into the future. Interest groups also try to influence judicial appointments, either through the presidential nomination or Senate confirmation process. Given the importance of the federal judiciary and its influence over a host of issues, interest groups often have a very strong desire to shape the appointment process. In 2016, as Judge Merrick Garland, President Obama's nominee to fill the Supreme Court seat left vacant by the death of, the ju of Justice Antonin Scalia, awaited Senate action. Interest groups such as the National Federation of Business, the National Rival Association, Planned Parenthood, and many others weighed in on his confirmation. However, the Republican majority in the Senate blocked Garland's nomination from coming up for a vote, and the seat remained vacant until President Trump nominated Neil Gorsuch, who became a member of the court in April 2017. As with the uh, Garland nomination, interest groups weighed in on the Gorsuch nomination, hoping to influence the direction of the Supreme Court. Iron Triangles and Issue Networks. As discussed in Chapter 7, the Iron Triangle is a classic depiction of the connections between the interest groups and government. Refer back to Figure 7.4 on page 228. It consists of three parties, interest groups, Congress, and the bureaucracy. Some political scientists believe the Iron Triangle model is simplistic. They use the term issue network to describe the webs of influence between interest groups, policymakers, and policy advocates. 
Complicated issues may give rise to competing issue networks, each of which advocates on a different side of the issue. Issue networks may temporarily unite groups that are normally on different sides of, the, of most issues. The effort to legalize recreational marijuana has united some states' rights advocates who tend to be conservative with legalization advocates who tend to be liberal. The immigration reform effort unites some business groups seeking skilled and unskilled labor that tend to be conservative and immigrant rights groups that tend to be liberal. Uh, while the Iron Triangle model emphasizes the power of special interests to work with government officials to achieve their goals, the issue network model represents pluralism with multiple groups participating in the political process. Money and campaigns. Interest groups often are heavily involved in the electoral process. Money is a powerful strategic tool that can pay for media coverage, a solid ground campaign, and research. Money can also act as a weapon to discourage underfunded candidates from running for election. Political action committees, or PACs, have limits on how much money they can contribute directly to a campaign or candidate. As discussed in Chapter 13, since the Supreme Court's decision in Citizens United v. Federal Election Commission, American politics has seen the proliferation of independent expenditure organizations and super PACs, which may raise and spend unlimited amounts of money as long as they do not coordinate with a campaign. Uh, an interest group might form a PAC to give money directly to a candidate. It would form a super PAC to run its own ads independent from a candidate or campaign. In addition to financial contributions and spending, interest groups try to influence elections by mobilizing voters through efforts to encourage their members to go to the polls and vote for the candidates endorsed by the interest group. Many interest groups keep scorecards on the voting records of members of Congress and publicize the results to their members and the public in an effort to influence their vote. For example, the National Rifle Association's Political Victory Fund website has an interactive map where members can click on their state to see how the organization has rated a candidate's support for gun rights on a scale from A to F. Acting from outside, mobilizing members through grassroots lobbying and political protests. Interest groups may use grassroots lobbying to mobilize their members to pressure elected representatives directly through phone calls, emails, and social media. Interest groups that are not well-funded may use this tactic because it is relatively inexpensive and can effectively uh, get the attention of a member of Congress. As we will see in the discussion of social movements, protests can be another re relatively inexpensive way for an interest group to call attention to an issue. Protests may gain the attention of the media, informing the public about the group's issues and goals. Coverage of protests on social media may spread a group's message quickly and cheaply to thousands and sometimes millions of viewers. That's the end of 15.2. Okay, last in this chapter is 15.3, Social Movements. As discussed in Chapter 9, the Civil Rights Movement and the struggle for the rights of women, disabled Americans, and LGBT uh, Americans are social movements that achieve major policy change. Although their specific goals differed, they often employed similar tactics. Choice of effective tactics. Social movements often use protests as a public demonstration. Uh, the, oh, often use protests, a public demonstration designed to call attention uh, to the need for change. Members of social movements may use civil disobedience, intentionally breaking a, of a law uh, to call attention to injustice. Protest and civil disobedience can be powerful and effective tactics, especially in altering the political agenda. They attract the media. They attract media attention to an issue, forcing the, the public and policymakers to confront confront it. Sorry. Protest and civil disobedience can be risky, however, not only for the individuals involved, but uh, also for the movement itself. Individuals who protest or engage in civil disobedience may endanger their freedoms, jobs, physical safety or even their lives. Uh, there is a chance that these activities may alienate rather than mobilize the public. There is also a risk that protesters will be ignored. Successes and failures of social movements. According to Priven, uh, Priven and Cloward, social movements 
arise under political circum under particular circumstances and are short lived. Protesters uh, need to feel that the system has lost some legitimacy, and individuals who are normally pessimistic about change start to believe that they can assert their rights and they have the capacity to make a difference. The system of uh, the success of social movements depends upon the impact that protest has has on the electoral system and whether elected officials accommodate the demands of the protesters or decide to ignore them. The Occupy Wall Street movement, or OWS, uh, was an example of a social movement with with an ambitious agenda. After the collapse of the mortgage industry in 2007, the bank bailout that followed uh, the member and the bank bailout that followed the mem- movement's members believe that the government adopted policies to favor wealthy financial interests. Critics of the bailout believe that big financial firms have been rescued from suffering the consequences of their risky behavior thanks to the federal government. On the other hand, many unfortunate homeowners lost their homes. Uh, the protests saw not only an in- inequality of wealth but also an inequality of justice. As they struggled to convey their message, the American citizens, uh, to the American citizens, OWS members uh, also struggled to clearly define their message. Uh, Zuccotti Park protests, Zuccotti Park protests, who helped organize, or what? Oh, Ra- uh, Rachel, Rachel Pletz, a uh, participant in the Zuccotti Park protests, who helped organize similar efforts in Philadelphia, put it, quote, this is about solidarity. This is about uh, let me page here. Uh, this is about getting people together and figuring it out. We just know something's wrong. End quote. It uh, is a particular challenge to successfully mobilize Americans to respond to political and economic inequalities when the economic regulations are so complex. Quote, uh, what do you say about a financial crisis where the villains are obscure and the solutions are also obscure? End quote. Um, wondered. Uh, a British music critic and one college student who attended a musical performance on behalf of OWS commented, quote, I have not heard a single song that sums up what we are trying to do here, end quote. By spring of 2012, a tent set up by, or tents set up by uh, OWS uh, protesters had mostly disappeared from New York, Boston, Los Angeles, and other cities. Protests continued, but without the same level of media coverage. Some debated why it had been accomplished. OWS did not appear to have uh, built the necessary infrastructure to sustain it over over the long haul. According to one reporter, quote, many uh, pundits suggest that it's time for the activists to hire political consultants and assemble a list of demands, in short, to become much more involved in in electoral politics, end quote. Some people argued it was time for OWS to stop trying to end to form a board, a broad social movement and to become more focused, a more focused interest group. However, forming an interest group might not be an effective way for OWS to meet its goals. Priven and Cloward have argued that social movements lose leverage, lose leverage when they become interest groups because they have to complete, compete alongside other groups with more financial resources and well-connected lobbyists. However, in our exploration of of political parties in chapter 14, we studied the candidacy of uh, Senator Bernie Sanders uh, who highlighted American economic inequality in his campaign. The efforts of Sanders and others to call attention to this issue illustrate that OWS may have influenced po- the political agenda. As OWS faded from the nation's attention, uh, other social movements arose. 
in the fall of 2017, the hashtag MeToo movement uh, gained uh, gained national attention. The MeToo movement uh, started with the uh, revelation that Ashley Judd, Ashley Judd, a country music singer and actress, had faced inappropriate advances from Harvey Weinstein, a successful Hollywood producer. According to Time Magazine, a Time Magazine article, quote, in 1997, just before Ashley Judd's career took off, she was invited to a meeting with Harvey Weinstein, head of the star-making studio Miramax, at a Beverly Hills hotel. Astounded and offended by Weinstein's attempts to co- coerce her into bed, Judd managed to escape, but instead of keeping quiet uh, about the kind of encounter that would easily shame a woman into silence, she began spreading the word, end quote. Judd claimed that Weinstein ruined her career in retribution uh, for her allegations. With the Me Too movement, or the Me Too movement, Me Too movement, went viral on social media with women of all uh, of all walks of life who had been subjected to this uh, sexual harassment posting the hashtag MeToo. Uh, the MeToo movement had measurable success in holding some very successful men accountable for sexual harassment. It caused the resignation of several, several members of Congress, state legislatures, business executives, including Harvey Weinstein, who was charged with rape, uh, Roy Moore, a candidate for, uh, for an Alabama Senate seat, lost the election following the allegations that he had preyed on young women and girls earlier in his career. States and corporations revised policies on how to respond to complaints of sexual harassment. And while Congress still hasn't uh, yet taken any action, uh, future legislation may further the goals of the hashtag MeToo movement. Um, while social movements often fail, successful social movements have expanded equality in the United States. This concludes section 15.3 and chapter 15. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, let's see. Okay, one sec. I just gotta get a drink of water, and then I can start up 16.1, the evolving news feed. Chapter 16 is called The Media, by the way. From before the country's founding to today, the news media have played an important role in shaping American political culture and influencing Americans' attitudes toward government and politics. Along with political parties, interest groups, and elections, the media are a linkage institution connecting citizens with government, making it easier for the government to communicate with citizens. The connection between the nation's media and American politics has been shaped by technological change. The print media and a new nation. The delegates to the Constitutional Convention, as we explored in Chapter 2, had been careful to prevent information from being leaked to the newspapers. The publication of the proposed Constitution spread a flood of editorials for and against the document, and newspapers took their place at the forefront of American political life in the late 1780s. Freedom of the press, the Constitution, and the ratification debates. The press played a pivotal role in the ratification debates as proponents and opponents of the document made their cases through the nation's newspapers, often writing under pseudonyms. The Federalist Papers, the classic statement of the theory behind the Constitution, authored by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay, first appeared as a series of essays written under the pseudonym Publius 
In the New York newspapers, the Anti-Federalists produced essays warning that the proposed Constitution posed dangers to liberty. While the Bill of Rights was not part of the original document, a promise that the new government would create one through a series of amendments during the session of Congress in 1789 proved crucial to securing ratification. First Amendment states, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press. Thus provided the foundation for press freedoms. Uh, the media go mass. Penny presses, partisanship, and scandal. In the late 18th and early 19th centuries, however, newspapers only reached a relatively small part of the population. They were expensive and often only available through an annual subscription, which required putting down a large sum of money all at once rather than for each issue. The cost to produce a newspaper fell during the 1830s with the development of cheaper methods of printing and readership grew rapidly. The penny press, so labeled because an individual newspaper cost one penny, could be bought on the street from newsboys hawking their products. Within just a few months of its introduction, the New York Sun was the city's top-selling paper. By 1834, the Sun was selling 15,000 copies a day. The Penny Press was an example of the mass media, sources of information and entertainment, including newspaper, television, radio broadcasts, and internet content, designed to reach large audiences. Newspapers depended on sales and on providing an audience for their advertisers, and so they often focused on dramatic stories of crime, riots, and scandalous behavior. Journalists as investigators and activists. A faster and cheaper printing press was not the only technological development that shaped the newspaper in the 19th century. The telegraph allowed news to travel instantaneously over distances that might have taken days or weeks otherwise. The Associated Press created a wire service, an organization that gathers the news and offers it for sale to other media outlets. The 19th century also witnessed a new approach to news coverage, investigative journalism, in which journalists act as detectives and dig into stories rather than simply conveying the speeches and opinions of political leaders. During the Progressive Era, an important group of investigative reporters became known as muckrakers. The name was a reference to, to a rake used to dig up mud. Thank you. Theodore Roosevelt made the term popular, and at first it was seen as a criticism of journalists. Muckrakers used investigative journalism to expose wrongdoing and also to shape public opinion in support of regulating businesses and reducing corruption in government. Direct, direct to Americans' homes, radio and television. Technological advances during the 20th century brought political figures directly into Americans' homes. Radio and television, which are examples of broadcast media, brought political news to citizens directly and immediately. Listening to the radio or watching television was often a shared experience, with only one radio or television set in the home or in the neighborhood. People could learn about the news while doing other things, such as driving, doing chores, working, or having dinner. Mass media was a shared experience because people nationwide were exposed to the same stories. By breaking down geographic barriers, the broadcast media were truly national in scope. If the 1930s signaled the emergence of radio as a powerful new force in political news, the late 1950s did the same for television. In 1960, candidates John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon participated in the first televised presidential debates in American history. While experts and radio listeners did not declare a clear winner, those who watched on television thought that Kennedy won the debate. Kennedy's image on television came across as robust and energetic, while Nixon, who had been fighting the flu, appeared pale and sweaty. In 1961, having won the presidency, Kennedy gave the first live televised news conference. As more Americans relied upon the major television networks for their news and coverage of political events, news anchors became trusted figures in describing and interpreting these events. As the Vietnam War progressed, American casualties mounted and protests against American involvement spread. Trusted television journalist Walter Cronkite questioned if the war had become unwinnable. It was widely reported that President Lyndon Johnson, Lyndon Johnson observed, if I've lost Cronkite, I've lost middle America. 
The idea that a trusted news anchor could affect American public opinion so strongly in an area as vital as foreign policy speaks to the power of television news anchors during the heyday of network news. Beginning in the 1980s, the mass media changed, appealing to narrower audiences. Radios crackled with political commentary and harsh criticism of those who shared different viewpoints. Some programs were clearly Republican, such as the uh, Rush Limbaugh show. That guy died recently. Other radio shows appeal to a liberal audience. These talk radio broadcasts have been criticized for their efforts to promote to provoke emotional responses, such as anger, fear, and moral indig- indignation through the use of overgeneralization, sensationalism, misleading or patently inaccurate information, and ridicule of opponents. Oh, I'm so tempted to make a Rush Limbaugh comment, but I won't. The 1980s and 1990s witnessed the rise of a new outlet for television and television news. First broadcasting in 1980, CNN, the cable news network, provided Americans with 24-hour news coverage. The American political news media had broken the clock, going 24-7, and America tuned in. In 1996, Australian media entrepreneur Robert Murdoch launched Fox News, which provided a conservative interpretation of the nation's news and political events. Americans who felt the network news coverage was too liberal switched to Fox News. Cable television news is subject to fewer government regulations, and it has become unapologetically partisan. Figure 16.1 on page 512 shows how sources of political news have changed in recent years. The 21st century has also witnessed a marked decline in the number of people who read printed newspapers. Traditional papers have gone online, sometimes for free and with advertisements, sometimes behind firewalls that require registration and or a a subscription fee. Some political scientists worry that that ideologically driven news increases polarization and leads people to support more partisan policies. One study suggests that most Americans are moderate, but politically interested people who consume ideologically driven news may become more entrenched in their partisan beliefs. People who consistently watch a single news source are less trusting of other sources of news and are more likely to have friends who share their own political views than viewers of multiple news sources. New media, new freedom and new problems. The 21st century gave rise to new forms of media. The term new media is used to refer to all of the various digital platforms through which individuals receive, share, and produce content. Broadband reception, the internet, and other communications technologies enable Americans to receive and send text, sound, and video at increasingly fast speeds and in increasingly large volumes. These new forms of media communication have revolutionized far more than the speed of delivery. In the era of 24-7 news coverage and the merging of entertainment and news media, individuals can be journalists, citizens can be editors and commentators, and members of the media can be celebrities. Throughout much of the nation's history, most Americans had a limited number of choices in their news media outlets. Generally, one or two daily newspapers, several radio stations, and a few major television broadcast networks. The rise of cable television expanded the number of options, and the internet increased these options even further. Newspapers and TV news broadcasts are struggling to remain relevant in the face of rapidly changing technology. See figure 16.2 to assess the rate of change. New media can bring us together by shattering geographic boundaries, but they can polarize us politically by allowing people to select information and political news, shutting out other viewpoints. This is the end of 16.1. Okay. 16.2. Public policy and regulating content and ownership. While the media provides... Sorry. While the media provides information that helps citizens hold elected officials and government employees accountable, the government also regulates the media. Government regulation has focused mainly on two things, content and ownership. The changing nature of regulation. When, the radio, and te- when radio and television became popular in the 20th, 20th century, both citizens and the federal government pushed for regulation 
of the broadcast media. Some wanted to regulate the content beamed directly into Americans' homes to ensure it was suitable for children. Others wanted to regulate the political content of the radio and television broadcasts to ensure that multiple political viewpoints were presented. The Radio Act of 1927 established the Federal Radio Commission and required broadcasters to obtain a license to broadcast on specific frequencies. The Communications Act of 1934 expanded the federal government's role in regulating the nation's broadcast media, creating the Federal Communications Commission, or FCC, to oversee uh, uh, the implementation of its provisions. Regulation of the media raises concerns about the appropriate balance between the constitutional right of freedom of the press and the government's need to protect liberty and order. As we discussed in Chapter 8, the government attempted to block a story in the Washington Post during the Vietnam War in the New York Times v. United States in 1971. The Supreme Court ruled that the government may not censor a story before it's published, unless publication would endanger the national security. Uh, in the latter half of the 20th century, changes in the ways uh, news stories were created and distributed forced the government to rethink the rules of telecommunications. Deregulation led to increasing consolidation as news firms tried to maximize their profits in the face of declining sales and advertising revenue. Subscriptions to print magazines and newspapers were being canceled because people can read online magazines, blogs, and newspapers for free. Um... It would be difficult to regulate po- uh, political content on social media to ensure equality and fairness of opposing viewpoints because the First Amendment protects freedom of expression. Political candidates who are also celebrities, for example, can obtain disproportionate attention based on their celebrity status. In the 2016 presidential campaign, Republican candidate Donald Trump used his large following on Twitter to get media coverage without having to purchase as much airtime as other candidates. As President Donald Trump has uh, made, as President Donald Trump has made uh, unprecedented use of Twitter to convey his viewpoints to the public, President Barack Obama was a vocal advocate for net neutrality rules that prevent internet and broadband companies from from charging more for content providers who chew up more bandwidth. In 2016, the D.C. Circuit uh, Court, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, in a two-to-one vote, upheld the FCC's net neutrality rules. Uh, Net neutrality also came up in the 2016 presidential election. Following the court's decision, Democratic candidate Bernie Sanders tweeted that the ruling, quote, will help ensure that we don't turn over our democracy to the highest bidder, end quote. While Republican Senator uh, Senator Ted Cruz labeled net neutrality as, quote, Obamacare for the Internet, end quote, implying that the government was placing too many regulations on the Internet. As, As discussed in Chapter 15, the Trump administration reserved or reversed net neutrality uh, rules on the grounds that they were excessive, unnecessary, and deter investment in new technology. Public policy and media consolidation. The FCC was created in 1934, and in the early 80- in the early 80s, the federal government enacted regulations to preserve media diversity and prevent consolidation. Media consolidation is a co- concentration of ownership of media in fewer corporations. The FCC regulations prevented a corporation from holding too many uh, TV stations or newspapers, reaching too big of an audience. In 1945, the Supreme Court blocked a merger among various media companies and the Associated Press. Uh, the majority opinion states, quote, the widest possible uh, dissemination of information from diverse and antagonistic sources is essential to the welfare of the public, end quote. In this decision, the court prevented media consolidation to strengthen the First Amendment.
In the 1890s, FCC Chairman Mark Fowler, who was appointed by Ronald Reagan, began deregulating the media, paving the road for consolidation. Uh, the Telecommunications Act of 1996, paint, or signed by Bill Clinton, um, significantly raised the percentage of a national audience a corporation was allowed to reach. It also raised the limits on the number of media outlets one corporation could hold. President Trump's FCC chair has relaxed rules preventing media consolidation making it possible for new sources to be held by fewer and fewer companies. In 2018, a federal, government, or federal court paved... Uh, I lost my place. Where was it? Oh, paved the way for even further consolidation when it, was approved, when it approved the $85 billion merger between AT&T and Time Warner. Uh, figure 13.3 is a graphic illustrating the media consolidation. Uh, using 2011 data as a starting point, although several companies have changed heads since. Uh, this means the, that national and even local coverage is dictated from afar and by business leaders, not by journalists on the ground. Corporate executives make financial decisions that impact how the news is reported. The ability of the media to control public policy means some issues will get more attention than others. News News about human rights, climate change, and foreign affairs is often ignored or underreported. And that is the end of section 16.2. Section 16.3, how the media shape American politics today. Earlier in the chapter, we explored historical attempts to regulate the American news media and how those efforts were driven by changes in technology, which drove changes in how citizens access the news and the structure of news organizations themselves. Today is no different. The more power the media have, the more concern there is about who is providing political news and whether or not they are fair and unbiased. The political perils of the new media. One of the most Important developments in the internet age has been the rise of social media outlets such as Facebook and Twitter. These interactive media environments allow individuals to create or share text, image, and video, as well as comment on content and forward it to other members of their personal networks. We've already discussed the effects of new technologies in supporting citizen journalism and addressed concerns about the ability to verify reports for accuracy. Politicians can now easily and directly communicate to citizens through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. President Trump, for example, has millions of followers on his Twitter account. Politicians, however, there is another worry. As they are often acting and speaking in a sea of cell phone cameras, they must always be aware that any spontaneous off-the-cuff remarks might be posted on YouTube or Facebook within minutes. The use of social media as the main source of political news has grown tremendously in recent years, and these trends show strong generational differences, as shown in figure 16.4. The news media and the reshaping of what is news. The pressure to attract an audience in a marketplace with so many easily accessible alternatives has led news outlets to focus on infotainment, the merging of information and entertainment in a way designed to attract viewers and gain market share. This dynamic includes pressures to provide soft news, stories to focus on celebrities, personalities, and entertaining events rather than on events of local, national, or international political or economic significance. There are... Um, there are other concerns with the merging of news with the entertainment. Scholars have found that viewership of political comedy shows, such as The Daily Show, may decrease individual support for the government, exposing them to political issues, but increasing cynicism in the process. There are also concerns that soft news may decrease the amount of knowledge about public affairs, knowledge that is necessary for, economic, for effective democratic governance. 
bias in the coverage of news. Some claim that American news media has a partisan bias. Those who believe the media have a liberal bias point out that journalists are, li- are more likely to self-identify as liberal than members of the general population. Others claim that even though most journalists are liberal, they are supposed to operate under norms and professional expectations that reward objectivity. Finally, the perception that the media are politically biased might be shaped by certain media outlets that run stories on the biased media, thereby encouraging their readers, listeners, or viewers to believe a bias exists. The percentage of Americans who think there is a great deal of political bias in the news has risen recently fueled by repeated claims made by politicians and political commentators. Uh, Concerns about bias in the media have been accompanied by a lack of trust in the news sources. Confidence in television news in particular has fallen dramatically, figure 16.5. When thinking about bias in news coverage, we should not ignore one of the most important potential sources of the problem, us. The news media, even outlets that are operated as nonprofit entities, need to attract an audience. They need us to listen to, to and watch what they are producing, and they shape their coverage accordingly. Some news outlets pursue inflammatory sensational coverage to secure their corner of the marketplace. Stories about government regulation or public policies are often seen as boring uh, narratives that will not attract a large audience unless a major disaster or event shines a spotlight on some underlying problem. In a competitive marketplace, news is based on providing interesting narratives. Stories that we want to read, hear, watch, and retweet. It is easy to criticize the news media for failing to report on the important stories. However, very few people would watch the Federal Bureaucracy Channel. Uh, The media as shapers of political campaigns and elections. The drive to attract an audience shapes how media outlets cover political campaigns and elections, and it affects how candidates try to present themselves. When covering political campaigns, news outlets may focus on the latest polls. Emphasizing the drama of who is winning rather than the policy differences between candidates is called horse race journalism. Scandals also sell tempting media outlets to focus on wrongdoing and crowding out discussions of policy, a pattern that political scientist Larry Sabato has called a feeding frenzy. Candidates and politicians are not bystanders in the coverage of politics. They actively try to shape the media's agenda. Politicians and their staff members try to get their messages, their message out and shape how viewers will react to it. The goal is to control the message, sometimes obsessively by focusing on one message per news cycle per day. Allowing or restricting access by journalists is a decision made according to which choice seems most likely to spin a story in the desired way. A digital divide? At first glance, the 21st century might help Americans become more informed about government and politics. Americans who were previously disconnected from the political process might become interested in American politics by connecting with friends and family and their social networks. It may not be that simple. People do not use new media in the same way. According to political scientist Marcus Pryor, The new technologies and media avenues may be dividing Americans, making them more partisan. Some people may follow the news more closely, but others may avoid news entirely because there are so many other forms of digital entertainment available to them. Uh, Perhaps more worrisome, Americans with the skills to navigate this brave new world of multiple media options may benefit from, from the increased access to information. But those who cannot or choose not to may be left behind. The internet, according to Pryor, has widened gaps in news exposure, political knowledge, and turnout between those who like news and those who prefer entertainment. Older, low-income, rural, Spanish-speaking, and disabled Americans are less likely to make use of the internet, as are those with lower levels of educational attainment. We call these gaps the digital divide. A credibility divide. Traditional news media, citizen journalism, and comedy satire programs can provide useful information to viewers, yet it can be difficult to sort credible sources from those that are poorly researched, inaccurate, biased, or satirical. More than ever, it's our job to view the news with a critical eye. It's our job as Americans to stay informed. In our representative democracy, the news media provide a critical link between citizens and government. 
that's the end of chapter 16 and unit 5 and the book we're finished finally we're done with the with the textbook now we just have foundational documents and supreme court cases yes for those of you who are wondering me on like sunday what we're probably more than halfway through that to be honest yeah probably for those who you who are wondering, aka me on Sunday, the next episode is probably not going to be recorded until Saturday, and so that may not affect me later. But if you're following right now, yeah, it's, then it's, the next video, it's possible that we might be able to. Say. Oh, actually, yeah, we probably won't be able to do anything tomorrow. We're probably gonna have to do it all on Saturday because I have a really busy tomorrow. Yeah, that's fine. And that gives okay. us. Some- um okay this has been civic zero i didn't get an outro yesterday so i'm gonna do uh, an outro now uh this has been civic zero comprehensive guide to why the legislative branch sucks part two again um no this is the only part two there's never been a part two yeah 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 my bad um I've been Peyton Beach. We finished the textbook today. My co-host is same name, Nate. Uh, Noah Hannish. Cool. Um, and we are done. Let's get out of here. I'll oh, see, see you ya. tomorrow. Bye.